Hey everyone, it's Zubin. Uh, today I wanna talk about something that's been a part of my own journey in the world uh, and trying to show up as <laughs> whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, whatever my authentic self is. And it's a concept that has been talked about a bit by uh, Peter Lindbergh uh, in a community he stewards called the Stoa. And the, uh, the concept is second selfing or the second self. So what that really refers to is, you know, you have your self that you know with your friends and your direct connections and that sort of thing, that sort of ego self. But then there's a self that we project out into the world through digital means, whether it's Twitter, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube, whether it's an email chain group or a Slack thread or whatever it is, there is a persona that many people will project out in the world as their second self. Now, why, why would you want to do this? Well, there's the standard sort of like narcissistic impulse to be validated, to get attention, to feel special. There may be the FOMO, the fear of missing out when you see other people doing this and having a social media presence. There may be a financial motive. You're trying to make money or somehow monetize this presence out in the world. You have a business or you have a brand or a personal brand or whatever it is. Or it may be that you're called authentically to do something in the world. And as a means to do that, you need to be out in the world in a way that's scalable and you can reach people and actually influence change, the true meaning of influencer. And so any of these things could be possible, but what I'm gonna operate under the assumption of today is that you're out there to make change and to show up authentically in the world as your true self. And the second self can be a mechanism to create and steward a community that advances what your authentic sort of goals and mission are, your own hero's journey, so to speak. So what I've learned over, you know, and I started on the second self path <laughs> back in 2010 when I started, you know, ZDog MD as a character. And I've talked about that stuff elsewhere, but I've learned a lot in the course of it. And over the last couple of years of pandemic, the second self seems to be an opportunity and a trap for so many people, myself included, where you're seeing doctors and public health people and people who've had no sort of big second self in uh, sort of presence in the past, suddenly really ramp it up with mixed results. So I wanna talk about what are the opportunities and what are the perils when you're building a second self or creating a second self that you should know about because many of them aren't obvious to people going through it. And if you just go online and you're like, how do I become a you know, social media influencer? Or how do I you know, have a blog or a YouTube channel or whatever? You'll read so much effing crap by marketers and these kind of types that will give you this sort of formula. Oh, you need to post this often and you need to do this and you need to do that. You need to share it here. You need to do that. This is, you need to ask people to crush that like button and you need, so all this stuff can actually lead and feed into the very problems and perils that I'm gonna talk about. Now, why do these matter? Because not only do they create trouble in the world where you have issues where we've seen many so-called influencers go fully off the rails during the pandemic and before the pandemic and after the pandemic. But also these effects feed back onto the creator and cause terrible suffering. 
And I can attest to some of this, right? I've had to navigate this and I'm still navigating it. And part of the journey, the hero's journey is waking up, waking up to what your actual true self is, which is beyond words, beyond, beyond the mind. But then we have our manifest self here and now our second self. And so how can we align those so that we're actually integrated in the world in a way that's actually living our authentic sort of hero's journey and story. Okay, so let's go through it. The second self, of course, can show up on social media like Twitter, Facebook. It can show up in live streaming like Twitch. It can show up in blogs or a website. It can show up on Instagram. It can show up on TikTok. And we see this. So there are a lot of physicians, a lot of nurses who have these big second self personas on these platforms. And I grew mine slowly starting on Twitter and then moving to Facebook, which got a lot of traction, you know, like two and a half million people, and then created a, a third self almost, Doc Vader, who was an alter ego who could say all the things that my actual second self couldn't say and my first self would be terrified to say except to friends. And so there's all these different ways to do it. Now, what are some of the pitfalls? Well, I think the top pitfall is being attacked and criticized. And this is a pitfall for the creator, for the person trying to create the second self. And especially if you're in medicine, you're not used to this type of criticism. So that criticism can take the form of people criticizing your truth claims. So in other words, you're saying this about something in medicine, something in public health, something in the social world, something in politics, and people are directly criticizing that truth claim. Now, in an ideal world, that kind of criticism is absolutely great because that creates the kind of debate where you have thesis, antithesis, di you know, sort of dialogue, and then a synthesis position where what I call the alt-middle, where you're trying to synthesize all these different views into some closer approximation of truth. And that's perfect. So that kind of criticism can become a dialogue, can become a healthy debate, and can be absolutely wonderful. But many people aren't used to having their truth claims directly criticized in an open way because we're talking to friends and family and people in person who like to hem and haw and kind of lubricate the social conversation. That doesn't happen online. They will directly attack your claims. And it is very natural to become defensive, to see it as a personal attack. And in fact, there's lots of data saying when your beliefs are attacked in that way, it actually feels like a personal attack that should be responded with in some form of verbal or physical violence. And th this is natural human tribal conditioning. So this is why just understanding this, being ready for this can actually diffuse a lot of that actually good debate and criticism of your truth claims online. But there's other types of criticism which are sort of not done in good faith. And that can actually be of your truth claims as well, because people get in these hive minds and they will not believe a truth that violates their own sort of belief structure. And so then it can get a little ugly. And then what happens is you get criticism of your behavior. So people will say, oh, he's done this and he did that and he said that. And so, so these ad hominem insults and criticism of behavior, which feels emotionally very different. And again, the second self is only as emotionally viable and stable as the level of emotional development and maturity of the primary self and its level of connection to the true self, which is radiant, awake, <laughs> and empty of all this, 
So the less that maturity is there, the more reactive that second self is gonna behave. And so when behavior is criticized, when those kind of things happen, you gotta be ready for that because it's gonna happen. And it's always a reflection of the, of the person criticizing, really. But when it becomes a reflection of you is how you respond, how you take that criticism. And do you actually pull some of the signal out of the noise of all the criticism online? Do you say, you know what, that's actually accurate. So are you listening? Are you listening from a place of humility, always assuming that you could be wrong, but not beating yourself up for it, always with the intent of trying to grow? So these are some of, the, again, just the superficial, but then it gets worse. And this is why if people are like, well, this doesn't sound like I wanna have a second self, good. <laughs> you should think 40 times before doing this. You should really do the work because if you don't, you're gonna fall down these rabbit holes and that capture so many so-called influencers, especially in medicine. Because in medicine, we've been starved for a lot. We, a lot of us don't have the emotional intelligence or we've been, we've been waiting for this kind of attention to get out of our wonkiness and, and feel like we have some influence in the world when a lot of times we're having trouble, you know, even influencing our own patients. And now you have this, this, this reach of your second self and, and it can become very addictive. So the other things that can happen are harassment. So people can literally show up. So I've had people with mental illness show up at the doorstep of members of, our, of my team at their house because they were able to find an address and that was the easiest address to find, right? Because you know I've obfuscated a lot of mine. And, and so you have to be actually alert, aware, and security-minded to some degree if you're gonna have a second self, depending on how big and, and you know, it's all kind of personalized to what you're doing, but that becomes a thing. And then cancellation. So cancellation is, is an attack with the intent of depriving uh, a second self, of depriving the second self of the first self's ability to make a living. So in other words, true attack on the economic viability of you. And this happens commonly, as you know, happens to celebrities, but it happens to minor characters on the internet. And I have to say this, I've been on both sides of this cancellation thing. I have been so outraged in the early days of my thing that I've literally called for people to not, you know, be deplatformed, to, to not be able to, to, to speak, et cetera, because I'm just so angry. And I realize now, and early on actually, that that is terrible. And the more influence you have, you realize getting people canceled with your own influence is, it's absolutely reprehensible. Now there, there are probably rare occasions where someone's livelihood should be affected by how absolutely awful they are and how they're behaving. But boy, I'm having trouble of thinking of them offhand. You can maybe put them in the comments. But so you don't wanna use your influence to get other people canceled. Um, you really don't. Talk about issues, talk about truth claims, talk about those kind of things. Try to avoid the ad hominems and those kind of things. But what about getting canceled yourself? So yeah, so when you trigger other people with your own truth claims or your own way of being a second self. So I've had physician uh, uh, groups go, find, go to my website, find where I'm speaking and reach out and say, you need to cancel that talk because he said something about you know, how nurse practitioners should practice at the top of their training or something that offended us. And now I want you to cancel him. And some of those speaking engagements did, they canceled the talk because they're afraid of this group of people that are emailing en masse to try to get you canceled. And the great thing is they already gave me their payment and it's non-refundable. So I still got paid, but you can imagine it could go the other way, right? Now that kind of cancellation, you just have to be ready for that. 
Um, and the best way to kind of navigate it is, I have to be honest, you know, especially when I was doing my um, second selfing early on, I was pretty aggressive and kind of a dick. And I enjoyed it because it was a kind of a, an expression of this kind of id, this kind of stuff that gets so repressed in medicine. We just want to say what we think and we never get to. And so I got to authentically say what I thought and boy, it pissed some people off. But the, what you don't realize is then come after your livelihood. Now, if you get to a point in your career where you no longer care, that is second self-actualization. So you can get there, but that's a whole nother talk. Okay, so be prepared that those kind of things can happen. So that's just the simplest stuff. Then it gets subtle. So when you're putting yourself out in the world like this, and again, I really would argue, and I, I've tried to mentor people that are going in this space, physicians that are trying to go out and do this thing, and I even see them getting captured. It, it's so easy to happen. Um, and you can tell people about it, you can warn them about it, but you've really got to live it. So one of the things that happens is something called parasocial projection. So what is this? So a parasocial projection is a phenomenon that was early, it was sort of originally studied in like television actors and TV actors and radio personalities. And what would happen is they would put themselves out in the world as their second self in the old days. And people would watch them and become fans. And they would feel like because that actor or that personality was putting themselves out there, they would feel like they know that person. And then what would happen is the, the virtual relationship was very one-sided. So obviously the celebrity didn't really know the uh, fan or the audience member so much, but the audience member really kind of felt like they knew that celebrity, even though they only knew the second self. And that second self could be an entirely narcissistic projection of the person's primary self, could be totally irrelevant to who they actually are, actually, at, at its worst. At its best, it's actually so close like for example, I think over the years, my own online persona has, it's impossible to be entirely you in front of a camera, but it's come pretty close. And so people who are longtime, say uh, viewers in my community that I steward, this sort of ZPAC community or our supporter group, right? They really do know me pretty well. They can't know me perfectly well as my friends and family will know me, but they'll know me pretty well. And what they'll do is they'll project their own sort of relationship aspect onto me as a kind of image or onto the, uh, you know, the, the influencer, the second self. Now with social media, this has become even more intimate because in social media, you can interact with your audience and they feel like they've had this deep interaction. And I'm interacting with thousands of people, but they're interacting with one. So the asymmetry of the relationship is quite profound. Now that can manifest in many ways. You can get some really interesting relationships that happen online that are very productive, or you can get things that seem really off because people don't really know you. And when they meet you or they see you or they find you in public, there's a sense that you know them as well as they know you. That's the kind of fundamental flaw in the parasocial relationship. It's asymmetric. And that can be very uncomfortable for them when they realize you don't actually know them. And it can be very uncomfortable for you because you feel very bad because this person is hurt. And in fact, there's a phenomenon called parasocial breakup where they can actually, it can actually be a breakup. Like maybe you stop your show or you block them because they're behaving in a way that's like emotional or whatever. And it actually feels like a breakup. So these kind of parasocial projections, you can't avoid them. It's the nature of the medium. 
So how do you actually manage that? Well, again, you try to make, you know you're, they're gonna happen, so you have them be as authentic and healthy as they can. So when people, when the par- when your, your audience is giving you a compliment that really it feels like they're seeing you authentically, you should own it authentically. It's very, been very hard for me to own authentic compliments, compliments until recently. So now when someone stops me in an airport or something and they say, you know what, I, I, I just wanted to tell you that during COVID, I love the fact that you were authentically saying things that people were scared to say and you made us feel like we weren't alone. Oh, so something like that fills me with just absolute radiant joy. And I move towards that person and I'm so grateful and I feel so connected, right? So you have to really allow yourself to own those authentic compliments. But when someone says, oh, you know, man, I, uh, some kind of compliment that is on the superficial narcissistic level or something where they're not seeing you clearly or it's clearly so parasocial, um, you have to skillfully kind of redirect and go, yeah, you know, but that's kind of a character that I do. And I could see how you could think that to feel that way. But you know, what's funny is actually what, how I really feel is this way. And, and there's, there's different ways to deal with that. But if you start treating the authentic compliments the same way you treat the pure parasocial projection, it's gonna become a, a, a morass of confusion for you and your audience. They're gonna feel it. So the goal, again, the goal is you're trying to show up authentically in the world and do good using this second self. So the things I'm talking about are are, are sort of potential pitfalls to making that go off the rails. And then you could actually cause harm to yourself and to others. Okay, so parasocial projections. Now, the other thing where you can cause harm to yourself and others is something called audience capture. So what is audience capture? Audience capture, and you're gonna see this throughout. You may have followed somebody on a podcast and feel so close to them parasocially, and you feel like you know them. You know, the big podcasters like Sam Harris and, you know, Brett Weinstein and Weinstein and um, you know, Joe Rogan, you feel like you know them because you've been on board and listening to them. And then as things, and I'm not I'm not naming these three to say they're victims of this, but just people that people know, over time, what happens is you start to know, you intuitively know what the people who are in this community you're stewarding are tending towards. And you find that when you give them that as your second self, they respond really well. Whereas when you give them something that sternal rubs them awake, in other words, out of some rut they're in or some hive mind that they're in or groupthink or something they're expecting from you and you've changed your mind or you see something in a different way or you're showing them you're playing devil's advocate, you'll get that feedback right away. Wait a minute, wait, what, no, what, what? Because you violated their sort of parasocial projection of who you are by being that nuanced or by changing your mind or something like that, or giving them, having a guest on, say, if you're doing interviews, that violates their sort of, what their elephant, their unconscious is saying that they believe in or that you believe in, the reason they're in your group. And what you'll see is, oh, instantly, either your views will be affected, your metrics will be affected, the comments will be affected, you start getting some of that first category of attack, criticism of your truth claims, criticism of your behavior. Why did you platform X person? It's a common one, right? Um, Those kind of things. And then with the harassment, the canceling, all that other stuff. So this kind of audience capture means you're much less likely to do that. You're much less likely to be alt-middle 
to actually see all these sides and actually bring them to your second self, you're much more likely to be captured. And you see this consistently when it comes to the pandemic. People who were starting out, you know, going, you know, I'm a little skeptical of what the public health response is to this thing. And then and then their the audience starts to really respond, yeah, I'm skeptical. Next thing you know, they're saying, you know, masks would never work. They're actually causing harm or vaccines will never work. And, and suddenly it's like, the audience is like, yeah, they're eating it up. And it becomes, you're captured by that audience. You almost won't or can't consciously or unconsciously say something to disturb the paradigm that you've set in motion because you're getting all the validation from that audience. And the same goes for the COVIDian side, right? Like, oh, you know, if I say anything that violates this group that I've curated and I'm now captured by, they're gonna excommunicate me. I'm gonna lose whatever influence I have and that's it. Okay, this is a terrible way to be a second self. The goal is authenticity to who you are. Now, if you are that person, be that person. But if you're not, and you're captured by the audience in this way, and you're afraid, and this is one thing I'll say about so Sam Harris in particular, has no problem pissing off his audience. And I, I love that about him. He'll just say, listen, this is how I think about X. And I know a lot of you guys disagree because I get a ton of comments and, oh, Sam, have you lost your mind, et cetera. And however Sam is captured, I don't know, but he's not captured directly by his audience. He will tell his audience what he thinks. So that kind of second selfing is very authentic, very powerful, and very difficult. And you've seen many examples of people who are captured by their audience. Now, for me, um, I feel audience capture absolutely, especially early on. It's like, okay, so now, okay, so I'm captured by the 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 the, the vaccinated any cost audience, and then I'm, you know, you start to feel the people that are more like, well, wait, why are we vaccinating little kids when they've already had COVID, and there is this small risk of myocarditis, and then that audience wants to be treated a certain way, and and so on. But you know what's happened actually, remarkably, because I talk about this stuff is. My audience is pretty alt middle, meaning they're actually like, okay, okay, yeah. He has a guest on who's got this way of seeing the world. He got a guest on that's got this way of saying the world. And he's rolling with those guests to try to bring what their angle is so people can see what's true, what's partial, and what they maybe don't feel is as accurate and make decisions for themselves. Transcending this idea of capture, because there's audience capture and there's also capture in the audience by groupthink, by hive mind, by uh, emotional reasoning, by motivated reasoning, all the other stuff, cherry picking, all the cognitive distortions that can happen. So audience capture. Now, what about related to audio, audience capture and related to some of the things I'm gonna talk about are, are, is another piece, which is social media addiction. So m m many, many people on, uh, especially physicians and healthcare people, haven't used a lot of social media prior to deciding they wanna be a second self. Then they go decide they'll be a second self and they become addicted to social media. It's like, you know what? Um, I wanna, I, I realize there's a lot of uh, influence, power and money in selling crack. So I'm gonna go out and sell crack, but don't worry, I won't get addicted. I'll, you know, I better try it though, because I gotta know what my audience is feeling and how good the product is. Cause if I don't know how good the product is, how am I gonna, sell it to people. Like, how am I gonna influence them to, to take the product? So I'll just take a little puff off this crack pipe. Yeah, that's pretty effing good. Give me more of that crack. That's great. Okay. I can see now how I can talk about this crack to the audience and really get them to buy this crack because this crack is dope. Can I have a little more of that crack, by the way? Okay. That's social media. 
<laughs> like, okay, I wanna understand what's going on on Instagram with my audience. So I'm gonna go through the comments. Oh, wait, this guy said this, this guy said this, this guy said, I'm like, they're like, dislike. I'm pulling the slot machine and having it refresh to see what's going on. And suddenly this supranormal stimulus of social media, meaning we've evolved to have certain uh, desires. Like we really want the validation. We want the social validation. We want that little dopamine hit, all that other stuff. We wanna feel uh, tribally connected and angry at an out group. Well, social media is a supranormal stimulus like porn. Like porn allows us to have that sexual stimulus in a almost cartoonishly, outrageously super stimulating way to where people are now having trouble uh, in real relationships because they expect them to be like the supernormal stimulus of Pornhub and they cannot be that way <laughs> because humans don't actually work like porn stars with edits, right? Or the, the continuous feed and it's the same with social media. So. What happens is it then hijacks your brainstem. Now you're emotionally reasoning. You're captured by this algorithm that you were trying to game to get influence as your second self. Well, now you're screwed. And I found myself absolutely addicted to social media early, maybe in the mid 2000s, where we were doing this full court press and my second self was getting you know, fame and influence and generating revenue and all this other stuff. And it's like, oh, pull, pull, what's going on? What's going on on Twitter? What's going on? Okay. That's terrible. I'll tell you, it generates nothing but suffering. It doesn't help your second self influence people or grow or be authentic. And it captures you in a different kind of way. So be aware. What I would say is don't use social media beyond, you can even outsource it. Get somebody else to check your social media and listen. You can read some comments, but remember how you're taking them. Understand the parasocial projection, understand the different types of criticism that'll come at you. And it's never really about you. You can find if there's signal in there, like, oh, did I do something wrong and how I said this? Did I miss some side of this? And then you can do another thing that, that acknowledges that or you can grow from it, that's fine. But it's so easy to get sucked into it. The algorithms are designed to capture your attention. So be aware, okay? Be very cognizant of the social media addiction. Now, associated with that is this idea of just increasing narcissism. <laughs> so how awesome and validating is it to be acknowledged online for something you deeply care about. Huh? That can quickly spiral through a mix of social media addiction, the money, the audience capture, the parasocial projections that are positive on you, where you just become a loony narcissist. And all those sort of tendencies to fill this emptiness in you because you haven't done the work. You haven't actually done the spiritual awakening stuff. You haven't done emotional shadow work. You haven't done therapy, whatever it is, whatever your path is, you've not done it. And now you're being captured by all this and the hollow narcissism of it is guiding you. And we see this a lot, a lot. So be aware of that. And related to the narcissism, related to all of this is something that Peter calls internalized capitalism. I just call it addiction to the metrics. So this is what happens when you're out in that sphere, there are ways to measure your success. And these ways can hijack you. So views, likes, shares, comments, money in ads, money in sponsorships, number of members in your paying supporter groups, Patreon, you know, locals, all the things that I do, uh, the supporter groups, man, you can become hooked on watching those metrics, measuring them, 
And then they feed back on you. They go, oh, when I do this, the metrics go up. So I better do this. Like if I make a video every single day, I get these metrics. So now what happens? You're on vacation and you're thinking about making videos, consciously or unconsciously, because any day you miss is a day of missed metric opportunity and you see it show up in the metrics because you're obsessing about the metrics. So what ends up happening? You obsess about the metrics. You game your whole life towards the metrics and what it creates is a feeling of never being enough. In fact, it's what I point out when I talk about meditation, mindfulness, awakening, enlightenment, all this stuff, is this constant seeking. The constant seeking of the mind that what I can find that will make me happy is not here. It's somewhere else. And the metrics point to where that is directionally. The slope of that line points, oh, I'm not there yet, but oh, look, it's going up. Let me keep going. Let me keep doing that. And it's never enough. It's never enough. It's like crack. You can never get enough. I keep talking about crack like I've done it. I've never tried crack. But guys, if you want to send me some crack, uh, here's my address. I'm just kidding. Um, speaking of the perils of second selfing. Um, so kind of throwing this all together, you can see now that, and, and that, by the way, this is new. We're still learning how to second self. Where has this existed in the history of mankind in our evolution? It hasn't. You know, when you start getting motion pictures and TV and radio, some people could second self. Print, some people can second self, become an author or something like that. But it's small. Now anybody can do it. And we have no historical genetic sort of experience with this. So it can hijack us. So I'm hoping by you guys understanding, and I've been through and continue to go through a lot of this stuff as a creator, as a second self. What you're interacting with now is my second self. But what I find is the second self starts to align the more you work on all the selves, understanding true self, which is this radiant presence and awakeness that we are, your egoic self, which can be an ass or it can be less of an ass, depending on how much you work on it. And then that second self, which is an expression, hopefully, of your authentic, true selves. And always point back to the true self, the radiance of just this now presence, which means you don't have time to get addicted to metrics. You don't have time to, you shouldn't be captured by your audience because that's unauthentic at its root. You should understand and navigate parasocial projections. Watch out for narcissism because it happens. And listen, if your family's telling you this, if your loved ones are telling you this, if some of your audience are telling you this, you should listen for the signal in that noise and reflect. So hopefully, so where am I in all this? Well, I think about this stuff quite a bit. And I try to talk to others that are on this path. And when I see it kind of start to go off the rails, I may gently say, well, you know, it's kind of easy to say these things or to come up with the clickbait headline or to do whatever it is because we know the validation is there. And as Upton Sinclair says, I think it was Upton Sinclair, he says, you know, it's very difficult to get a man to believe something when his livelihood depends on him not believing it. And so we can get unconsciously captured by this kind of, this second self that's actually now making money, having validation, feeling the connection, and, and that's very, very slippery slope. So for me, I found what I've had to do is make a lot less videos. The internal capitalism, the metric addiction is gone. I just don't really look at it much, except 
once in a while, I'll take a snapshot and go, oh yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like signing off because there's no more COVID. Great. Now I can talk about what I really care about. <laughs> really, truly. I mean, I care about COVID in the sense that it points to the divisions. It points to the alt-middle. It points to authentic awakening, these kind of things. But if you start to relax that and you allow your second self to really be a reflection of your authenticity and who you really are, well, then things start to align. But knowing these things can help you navigate that path. I wanna thank Peter Lindbergh for pointing this out on the STOA and I'll put some links in. Um, and this is another thing, like asking people to crush that like button, to hit that subscribe button, all that, like you almost become a caricature of the second self. So what I'd like to ask you, <laughs> what I'd like to ask you guys to do is if you want to be a part of the thing that we're stewarding here, then all you gotta do is keep watching. If you feel strongly that this will help someone, send it to them, share it with them. And if you do wanna join the other groups, because those other groups, like our supporter group, like it is how we fund this stuff, but it's also a way to see this second self in an even more immediate, authentic, present, and unfiltered way. Because in those kind of groups, your second self can go so deep into your authentic self because it's not quite the public. It's an audience of other second selves that are putting themselves out in the form of comments that feels so aligned with your authentic mission that you can really let it, let the guards down. That sort of security mindset can relax. And so if you feel resonant with our tribe, join ours. But if you're building your own, remember that that's what you use that for. It's not just for generating funds to you know, pay for your equipment or make a profit or whatever. It's for that connection of authenticity. All right, guys, I love you a lot. Remember, we're a podcast too, and I'm increasingly focusing on our podcast. You may hear advertisements on the podcast. Those are fed in by our podcast, Hope, and they help host and they help to support our show. They're tailored to your own listening. So if you get a weird one, think about yourself a bit. <laughs> I got one for AARP, which I thought was hilarious. And you know, YouTube and Facebook put ads on stuff. For ad-free stuff, hit up our supporter groups. And um, I love you guys. We're out. Peace.